guys think Tom should do it every week? You know, can you do everything? That was great. Where's smoke, by the way? Smoke here? Because where there's smoke, fire is usually sitting right next to him. What is it? Is it a Michigan game today? I thought they played yesterday, didn't they? How'd that turn out? Anybody know? Go blue. Um, anybody ever stepped on one of these? I used to keep a loaded gun on my nightstand. Now I just put Legos by the windows and doors. It's, it's something that will, it, it won't make you lose your salvation, but it'll tell you whether or not you really know Jesus. You know what I mean? Because it, you step on them, and it's such, a, it's such a sharp, jagged thing that Legos, they, they build these amazing structures, and the Death Star, and the Millennium Falcon, and Elvis Presley's dog, and they have like a million of, of these pieces that can become just about anything that uh, an artist can imagine. And what's funny is it, I have a box of these at home because we have grandkids, right? So the grandkids take it and they put this into this. And if it's a girl, oh, look, it's a baby doll. And if it's a boy, oh, look, it's a gun. Because there's a difference between boys and girls, you know. But can you imagine having something like a box full of Legos and no real, no real vision of what could happen? Like, what am I building? You can connect this to that. And, and it's not uncommon for me to build something and not discover what it is until about halfway through. You know, it kind of looks like a bird. Let's go with that, you know? I, I remember I wrote three-quarters of a book before I knew what the ending was going to be. I had no idea. It was a fictional story, the only fictional story I ever wrote. And, and I think sometimes life can be like that. We see the individual day, and we, we watch it kind of plug into the next individual day, and we go, what does that look like? For the last 10 weeks, we've been talking about rhythms. This is our, our 10th week here talking about it. I, one of the goals of this has been to get you to ask some good questions. What is my passion what is my pain? What is my proficiency? And how, how, do these, how do these disconnected things connect to become something more? Um, it's funny. If you take this, you realize that, that uh, this is a gift that became a curse in my home. 2,000 small plastic pieces that become white pirate ship. Never in my life have I wanted to light something on fire quite as badly. <laughs> because my grandson's like a dog on a bone. Once Hollis gets a vision, he's in. And so there's thousands of pieces. And you know, if you sneeze, if you get up from the table too quickly, if, if you turn your head, if his little sister is in the same zip code, something will be missing when it's needed. The bulldog ate it. It ran off. You find it under the table. But understand this, guys. This is, this is a book that tells you how to take individual pieces and, and put them together to make something that's pretty incredible. And on top of that, you've kind of got this situation here where, where they don't give it to you in one big pile. They give it to you a bag at a time. And they say, for the next, you know, three days, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to plug little pieces into just what this bag does. And eventually this bag will meet up with the pieces of that bag, will meet up with the pieces of that bag. And only then will you realize that you did it wrong three steps ago. It all has to be undone. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I, I think there are people in France that thought, how do we make Americans cuss more than they already do? And Legos were created just for that reason. But I say this today because I think that there are people looking at their purpose right now, and you might feel like I feel when I look at Legos. I see the pieces. I might even have an idea of what, what the picture might be. At least, at least I know it's brown. I know it's not green. I know it's not blue. I know it's not yellow. But I, I don't know what that means. And so today we're going to wrap up this series by hopefully giving you something to, to, uh, to grab onto that helps us here a little bit. Um, here, here's a question we'll be answering today. What are we supposed to do while we wait? Everybody say Wait. We wait for our Legos to really present themselves. We're going to go back about 500 BC to hear a story about a man named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, just so you know, his Legos come together. He sees it, 
He's building it. It's awesome. And, and even though I, I get frustrated by people that have it all together, what we're going to look at is not that Nehemiah had it all together, but the people around him who didn't, how do they respond to a guy who knew what God wanted him to do? What is, what is their reaction to this? So Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. You ready? A bunch of big Hebrew words. Watch me butcher the Hebrew language yet again. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, how many of you guys think I'm doing pretty good so far? Come on, only cleared my throat once. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, man, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in, they're in great trouble. The disgrace is unbearable. The wall of Jerusalem, that place where they would hide from their enemies, is broken down, and its gates no longer serve as gates. They're just a pile of ashes. Now, Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of Israel. How many guys, if you were counseling Nehemiah and you say, what, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. He'd say, what's your passion? He'd say, I, I, you know, Israel, what's your pain? Man, that wall, those gates, what's your proficiency? I have access to the king. How many guys think you could help Nehemiah find his way? And this is what happens. So he, he does this. Now, this pain is inside of him. It's so great, in fact, that he would rather die than to live with it. He stops eating because eating is for living people, and I'm, I'm a dead man inside. Something's got to happen. It's, I, I, I'm praying because only God can do this miracle. This kingdom destroyed this city because it, it was in rebellion to its laws. It was, we were conquered by sin, and then we were conquered by our enemies. And I want to reverse all of that. One man... To, to, to change the entire direction of a nation, it's impossible. But I just can't live like this anymore. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Acura, I'm sorry, uh, King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sat in his presence before, so the king asked me, hey, you're going to stand in my presence and hand me something you want me to put inside my body and you look weird. So I'm going to ask you some questions, right? You ever had somebody go, oh, here, smell this? Like, no. You, your face told me that it smells bad. Here, <laughs> here, you want to drink wine? Like, stop. I'm not going to drink this, right? He goes, this, you're not sick, so this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Kid, what's breaking your heart? Listen, I love this. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. This isn't rebellion. I'm not trying to poison you. I'm, I'm not going opposite direction. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried, David and Solomon and... It lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Man, jackals are digging up the bones of my relatives and the story of my culture. The king said to me, what is it you want? Anybody ever worn down your parents to that place? Any grandparent, it doesn't take long to get to that place. What do you want? You know? Um, I love this verse. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king so quickly. What do you want? Like, this is the moment. How many of you that when God asks you what you want, it'd be nice to have an answer ready? When the king says, what do you want? It'd be nice to have an answer ready. There's been a few times in our life where somebody that was a, like a large donor said, what's your vision for the future? I'm, I'm glad we have vision that far exceeds the, the provision of our congregation. They said, well, that's, that's great. If all you had vision for is what you have, then I would find somebody else that had a bigger vision. Yep. But you've got this dream. What do you want? What is it you want, the king says. So he, I prayed, and it was like, I'll be back in 10 hours. I need to, you know, do my thing. He, he just, it was kind of one of those prayers like, well, I'm about to die or live. It's up to you. And he answers the king. <laughs> um, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And surprisingly, the king 
lets him do it. I mean, it's, it's kind of shocking. And, and think of this, guys. One person who knows what God has called them to do becomes a catalyst in multitudes of lives. Put that on the screen, please, will you? One person who knows what God has called them to do becomes a catalyst in multitudes of lives. Please understand this. If you don't know exactly where your circles overlap, that's okay. But there's something that you need to do while you're waiting for all your circles to overlap. Are you still with me? That, that thought that someday my life's going to come together like Nehemiah's, my passion, my pain, my proficiency, the moment, oh God, and the king says yes, like I'm waiting for that moment. But in the meantime, I got a bunch of Legos and they don't seem to be building anything that I can quite discern what it is yet. So what do I do? And people say, well, it's, it's nice that he knew what he was going to do, but what do I do in this? I'm going to give you three things today and we'll sum up the whole conversation that we're going to have on this this way. We good? Everybody still here? I'm going to teach today. You guys Okay. That means there won't be as much joking, but I'll, I'll probably cry in the end. You good? All right, good. Here we go. The first thing I'm going I'm to counsel you to do, if your circles haven't overlapped, you don't know what you're supposed to do, but you know there's a something that you were created to do. It just isn't time yet, or you're not ready yet. It's not ready yet. They're not ready yet. Number one is this. Do what you see God is doing. Do what you see God is doing. Well, until that moment comes where it's all my destiny, I'll do nothing, I'll wait for that moment. You are wasting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I'll tell you something else. It seems like the people that God promotes often labored in others' dreams as if it was theirs. You ever notice that? You ever notice how many vice presidents become presidents? Usually after an assassination, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You ever, you ever notice how many guys standing next to the Moseses, standing next to Jesus, standing next to the Elijahs, they become the Joshuas and the disciples and the Aaron's. Do you understand that people that are not the persons, they still create a, a kind of a, a wake, if you will, a, a kingdom movement. And if it's, well, it's not my time and I'm not Moses, that's okay. Don't be Moses, be Joshua. What's Joshua's calling? He has no idea until Joshua chapter one. But all throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Joshua is just some guy mentioned here and there in a battle. It isn't until his moment comes, but look who was qualified to be the next Moses. It was the last guy that stood next to him with, without a calling on his life, but believing that God was doing something through Moses in his nation. He got engaged with what he, thought, what he saw God doing. You still here? So get this. It's not my time yet. Great. Find some place where God is doing something and do what God is doing. Find some group, find some ministry, find some Bible study, find some college, find some family, find some missionary, but find what God is doing and then do it with those that are doing it. Nehemiah knows his purpose. And he's creating this wake with this vision for a rebuilt nation, for a rebuilt city. Now, please, please, please get this. Those who joined him did not have the same revelation Nehemiah did. Do you get that? Moses stands at a burning bush. Everyone that followed Moses out of Egypt wasn't at the burning bush. They didn't hear God's voice. They didn't see the glory of God on a tree. So why are they there? They saw what God was doing and they decided to join with God. But get this, guys. In Nehemiah's day, God is, is going to rebuild a city. It's his will. It's going to be done. Nehemiah or somebody else. God's going to use somebody else to do his will. But it's Nehemiah's call. It's his honor to take that risk. It's his honor to stand before the king. I've got permission. I've got the logs. I've got the troops. I've got that. We're going to go. It all makes it over there, and they start to rebuild the city. Get this. God wasn't using Nehemiah or those people to build that city. God was using that city to build those people. 
Well, it's not my call, Nehemiah. I'm glad God spoke to you. I'm glad your heart is broken, but my heart is not. And I'm not called to go to Israel. Listen, not everybody was called the way that Nehemiah is called. But those who responded to what God was doing got what God was doing. If you're just like, where is God? Why isn't God doing? Where, God, am I wrong? Am I in sin? Am I in the wrong place? Am I in the wrong relationship? What do I do? I'm, I can't answer that question. But one of the questions you should ask is, are you fully engaged with what you see God doing? Or are you waiting to be Moses? Are you waiting to be Jesus? Are, are you waiting to be Elijah? Because I'm telling you, the people that stand next to those people become the next people in line. And the people that listen to Jesus speak, Jesus goes away. They go, every time that guy's in town, I'm going to listen to him. He's fascinating to me. I love him. They got something very different than people who left their nets in their father's business and followed him. It is up to us. Please hear me. Discern what God is doing. And I'll just say this. Get this next thing up there. Do what you see God doing as if he had spoken to you, and you will accelerate towards your purpose. Avoid it. Because you're busy, and I, I get that. Avoid it because, ah, oh, it's not my thing. Avoid it because I haven't heard the voice of God. We, oh, I want to say this the right way. How many guys can just, can just take it from me and know that I love you? Is that okay? We, we would do well not to pray as much about doing stuff and do a bunch of stuff that we're praying about. I don't know about Claire's Hope, man. You know, the kids and the food and the, the biker thing. I mean, Tom changed his name to Smoke. What does that even mean? You know, that's, that's a chaplain name in the biker ministry. I, man, those junior high schoolers, whoo, I, all I know about them is if I don't have a wonderful program prepared for them, they got a wonderful program prepared for me. I, I don't, being a greeter, I mean, it means I have to like look at people. What about COVID? What if they sneeze and then shake my hand? What if, you know, what if I'm preaching and somebody gets up with their baby? I mean, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. Just kidding, right? Listen, guys, those who do what they see God doing get what God is doing. And those who don't will wait in line often for the rest of their lives. Last week I said something. I didn't notice it, but my wife brought it out to me. She said, I don't know if you noticed when you're talking about people on their deathbed and they're sad because it felt like life hadn't even begun yet. She said, you notice how many people were crying? I said, I, I, the lights and stuff, I can't see. I can see beyond the first row. The people, if I can spit on you from here, I can see you. If I can't, then I, I, I can't see you. But I, she said there, were, there was like a, a palpable sadness or regret, almost like that's been my life up to now. Hear me. If you are wondering why you're still here, you're still here to do what God is doing. If you're still wondering what your ministry is, your ministry is to do what God is doing. You're, if you're wondering what your calling is, I don't know, but your calling is to do what God is doing. Going to a football game is different than being on the field. And being, being in this, this thing that we call Christianity, it's, it's not an observer sport. It's contact. It's risk. It's faith. It's challenge. It's, it's everything or it's nothing. Religion says go every once in a while and do your thing and put the stuff in the basket and say hi to the person and go home and go back to your life. That's, that is a poor, lifeless, the snake is gone, the skin is there. It looks like a snake, but there's nothing in it. That, that relic of religion is not why Jesus died on the cross and defeated death, hell, and the grave for you. It's not why he sent his Holy Spirit. He sent us those things because God is doing something and he wanted a, a people to join him in that partnership. But maybe it's not your time. Whose time is it? Maybe God's not doing what you want him to do. But what is God doing? Connect with that. Well, I'm not called to the nursery ministry. I, that's great, but I know a family that is. I know a family that is. I'm not called to, you know, go to Linden. Morning, Linden. Linden, say good morning back. Hey, Pastor Jason, quit doing sit-ups and drinking grass clippings. It's time for church. 
I know, I know a family that is called to Linden to reach Linden. I'm not called to that. Okay, but I know a family who is. So I don't feel led to work with junior high schoolers and senior high schoolers. I get that. They are a terrifying group of people. But I know people that are called to work with them, and God is doing something in these ministries. You're here for October Chaos. Every time there's an altar call, dozens of kids saying, I just want Jesus. Can I tell you something? They got Jesus, but now they need moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts and big brothers and crazy sisters. They need people to teach them how to drive, teach them how far is too far, teach them what they can be, teach them what God made them to be. That doesn't happen from a platform. That happens when people get engaged in other people's lives. What's God doing? I don't know. But what are you doing about what God's doing? Maybe that's a better question for us to consider, right? Next thought. Second piece of advice. Do what God's doing. Number two, follow who you see God leading. Nehemiah is inspired to join um, with what God was doing. It's, it's this thing, like, I, I want this. But, I, but understand this. The people who joined him, if you ever read Nehemiah chapter 3, you should read it. It's one of those, this guy built next to this guy, built next to that guy. It's almost like reading the first chapter of Matthew. It's boring, um, unless you really are reading the story and not just the words of the story. The story is this. In a war zone, where enemies at any moment of the day or night can attack from among them. They don't know each other, so they don't know who's us and who's them, and them look like us anyway, so they could stand amongst us. It wasn't, it wasn't Napoleonic War where people line up and fire. It's, it's Vietnamese War. It's that they look like us, they wear civilian clothes, we can't tell what's Kong, what's regular, what's us, what's them, and so it, it, they're on edge for like 52 days in a war zone. And look who it was. Now is it a war zone? It's a construction zone. Pat Whiting. Construction zones are different, Right? They're, they're, they're not offices. People have calluses on construction zones. They, they're, they're dirty. Um, they, they go home tired in a different way than maybe an office worker would. It's, it's not, I mean, past jobs are awesome, so maybe I shouldn't have called him out. But I've been on jobs where like the meanest people in the world with the language of French sailors, with the hands of cinderblock, and they're my boss for the day, and I'm making five bucks an hour and feeling pretty good about it as a 16-year-old kid, right? And on that job, there's float that by a mud dog. We need more mud. And give me, where's that one? You blankety blanket. You do that one more time, I'm going to throw you off this roof. That's casual conversation when I was in construction as a kid, right? Well, it's a construction war zone. And look who helps build the wall. In chapter 3, verse 1, we get our first group of wall-building construction warriors. They're priests. Anybody want to chuckle with me? That was good. Whoever just chuckled, that was a good loud chuckle. We chuckled because she chuckled. Priests. What do they do? Well, they read scrolls. They, they kill animals. They sprinkle blood. They wear sacred clothing. They work for a few days and they have a few days off. This is the priesthood in, in this day. These are not warriors. and <laughs> These are not construction workers. They're priests. Look who else built next to them. Verse 8, perfume makers. You want to talk about a prissy lot. Is there a dumber commercial on television than a perfume commercial? I've got cleavage. And I'm a man. Perfume. Stink by Estee Lauder. Verse 8, goldsmiths. Well, that's a masculine group right there, huh? 
If I'm going to war, I want jewelry people all around me. Because, you know, people that do fine work with their hands, you know, they're, they're known to be brutal in their suits and ties. My favorite one is chapter 3, verse 12, where a guy brings, he has no sons, so what does he do? He brings his daughters to a war zone <laughs> to do construction work. Matter of fact, he doesn't do that. They do it. They rebuilt this section of the wall and hung a gate. This dude and his daughters did that. You with me? So again, let's just go back to the point. Follow who you see God leading. How many of you guys know all of them have an excellent excuse not to be there? I would, but all I have is girls. I'm not taking my girls to a construction. I'm not taking my girls to a war zone. I'm a good father. Not a, I'm not doing it. I, I'm a perfume maker. Dude, you can smell me from a mile away. I have cleavage and I'm a man. There, I, I, you know, I'm a jeweler. I, what do I know about warfare and construction? I mean, if you want inlay in the gates, call me. But, but like hanging a gate, I have no idea how to do that. It's beyond, I don't do this. But instead of saying what they didn't do, they joined the people who were doing what God told them to do. Listen, hear me. Hear my heart. Everybody in this room has 10 good reasons why you shouldn't serve God today. And everyone will accept your excuse. Well, everyone but one. The reasons we talk ourselves out of the great things that God has for us is because we convince ourselves that we're somehow exempt from the commandments of Jesus and the clear teachings of the apostles. We, we are not. And, and I say it with a smile on my face because if you feel like, oh, condemned, like, oh, I'm supposed to be serving in the nursery, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, do you know the joy of serving Jesus? Do you know the joy of being on a team that's well-led by someone whom Jesus is leading? I want that for you. And, and by the way, I, I keep saying church stuff, but this is true in business. This is true on your sports teams. This is true in your PTAs. This is true in your political circles. Like wherever, wherever God has assigned you, trust me, he's doing something there through someone and you would do well. If you don't know what your time is, to take your Lego and attach it to that Lego because God is doing something and you should be a part of it. There are lots of things that we are a part of as a congregation that are not our vision. Did you know that? Like, like uh, Compassion International. We sponsor kids in Africa. I went and met them. They're all in their 20s now. We put them through college, and now we have a whole new batch of young kids that were, were... But Compassion International came out of a missionary that went to Korea after the Korean War and saw babies that were half Americans from the GIs, half Koreans, and they were put on the curb to freeze to death. They, do you want this? If you do, we just... With the shame of this culturally and the, the need to... I, I always read that never happened, so kind of a post-birth abortion would take place. He saw that, so we got to do something about it. So they started sponsoring kids. How many of you guys might have one of those kids on your refrigerator right now? It's not our vision. It wasn't like we have this vision for these kids in the third world, but we found someone whose vision it was. In other words, we're doing what we saw God doing. We're following whom we see God leading. How many of you guys know that everybody that does that is blessed for doing it? A convoy of hope disaster relief. I, I mean, I feel it every week when my grandkids go home, the importance of disaster relief. But a tornado comes through, or a flood comes through, or a hurricane comes through, or there's an earthquake, and those guys all pack up and go, well, that, I'm not packing up to go. God's called me here. But I mean, I know just because God's called me here doesn't mean I'm not supposed to be a part of what's going on there. Us too, right? Our missionaries. Not long ago, we had some people stand on the stage and for the sake of their security and so forth, I won't mention their names, but if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. And they talked about going to a place where they've been sick nonstop, where vomiting, the little boy is looking at his dad crying, saying, Dad, why is God letting this happen? Now, I'm not, I'm not called to go where God has called them to go, but how many of us know, I believe that they are. Yeah. And because I believe that they are, I want to follow whom God is leading with my life. One of my favorite, put up this next picture. This is a special moment in our church's history. 
It's nice for me to be in a circle where I have an equal amount of hair with Jason. And I'm, and I'm taller than the man that I'm praying for, because that's rare for me. That, that's a friend of mine's dad. Gonzalo is his son's name, and we'd, we'd know him well if you've been to Oaxaca. That's his father. It's in a village up, way up in the mountains. In the, at the top of the Sierra Madres, there's a, a town called Patio Iglesia. And we had heard that he was, um, he was suffering. At night, he would have these terrible dreams. He'd wake up screaming, night terrors, demonic attacks, a lot of tribal religions and things were there. And he was believing the demons were coming to get him. And he would scream. And his, his son is a, a, a wonderful evangelist believer. He speaks Spanish, speaks a little bit of English, enough to get in trouble. And, uh, and Mazateco, which is a very difficult Indian tonal language, which he was, he was raised with. And so we went up there and we're going to, it just took all day. Hurricane Ernesto had blown through. The trail that was washed out, the road was washed out. We're like literally, it's one of those movies where like a machete and don't touch the green snake, don't touch the brown snake. We're like going through there, making a trail through the jungle, kind of come up around this mountain pass. Well, we had neglected to think about one of our members um, was carrying a heavy load in a black backpack in tropical heat with 100% humidity. It was my son, JD. And that very day, we almost lost him. We were walking up a trail, and all of a sudden, you know, JD's always had a really high tolerance for pain. When he's in pain, he keeps it to himself. He, you know, hey, you know, is that your arm? Like, yeah, but I'm fine. Like, uh. He, one time he fell down. This little boy just busted his rear end, like ran down this and threw his legs out onto a mattress, but the mattress had separated, and he landed on the edge of the stair. Josh came out and said, hey, JD's, he he got hurt. I'm like, how hurt? Because he's trying not to cry. I went, oh my gosh, that's hurt, you know? What's going on? He's like, he's holding on to the, the railing. What's going on? Uh, right here. That's why I, I, I lifted up his shirt. I said, right here. He goes, no, lower. So I pulled on his pants a little bit. I said, oh, buddy. He said, what? I said, is it broken? He goes, it is. I said, yeah, there's a big crack right down the middle. <laughs> yeah, he hit me. <laughs> Only time he's ever hit me. Now you guys think I, I deserve it, you know? But he turns around, going up the trail, he turns around, he's soaking wet. He's got this, you know, 50 pounds of gear on, black backpack, tropical heat, big dude. He goes, Dad, I'm in trouble. And I saw it in his face, like, this is, this is heat exhaustion on the edge of, of, like, heat frustration. Like, this is, like, you're going to go down. He's dizzy. We get the backpack off. We lay him on a rock. We get a big leaf over the top of him, giant leaves in the jungle. We put water on his wrists, on his groin, on his knees. We, we rehydrate him with two bottles of rehydration fluid that I had some pills. We put in the water. And he, he's kind of starting to come around. Like, we're going to get him back. He's not going to die in this mountain, which is good because I couldn't carry him and rolling him down a mountain seems like a bad idea. It's just it's a father. Like, just go see your mother. I have to finish this. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we had this moment. Like, listen, JD's not called to the Mazatecos. Do you get this? It's not his calling. And let's be honest, it's probably not his gift. But he's there because he sees God doing something. He sees God leading someone. He sees a need. And so he engages in that. We got him sat up and we realized he's going to make it. And uh, it's kind of the, the scariest part is over with. And he kind of sits up and he's dizzy and like, you okay? And just puts his head down and goes, dad. I thought, oh, what? You okay? Dad. Yeah. He said, when we get up to the village, yeah, son. He goes, I, and we preach the gospel to these people. Yeah, son, what? Somebody better freaking get saved. <laughs> word for word. We prayed for Gonzalo's father. He's never had a night terror since. God set him free. People got saved in that village that day. It was, it was, a, it was a, an altering, a culture-altering day. 
I'm saying this to say this, guys. Please hear me. I love my kids. But beyond that, let me say this. My kid's not called to be a missionary of the Mazatecos. But he saw what God was doing, and he decided to join him. Does this make sense to you? See who God's leading and join. See what God's doing and join. And lastly is this. Bless what you see. God blessing. God's building this community out of perfume makers and jewelry people and daughters in construction war zones. He's building out a priest that had never worked like a stone kind of a day work in, in their life. He's building a city. He's building a community. Strangers are becoming family. They were under the constant threat of attack for a month and a half straight. And one of the things that it's easy to overlook in chapter three is the word next to. Like 27 different times, this person built the wall next to this family, next to this next to that, next to them, next to these, next to those. The, the, they'd never met each other, most of them, but that, that community building project made them a community worthy of living inside of those walls. When the enemies came, they weren't a nameless, faceless, fearful. They had been following God. They'd been following people that were following God, and they'd become a city that God was gonna put his blessing on. So what are they doing in a war zone with their wives? They're, they're blessing what they saw, God blessing. Piano guy, join me, would you? You guys good if I close? You should be, because I should have closed a minute ago, but we didn't. So let's just say worship went long. Sorry, Lyndon, just kidding, it didn't. It went wonderful. So um, Nehemiah's assignment is completed. I'm gonna read this to you. Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15. So the wall was completed in 20, on the 25th of Elul <laughs> in 52 long, stinking, scary, difficult, heartbreaking days. Now, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized this work, this work had been done with the help of our God. So the question, what am I supposed to do while I wait? This is what I got. You tell me it's a pirate ship, but this is what I got. What am I supposed to do while I wait? Put it up there, guys. This is what we're supposed to do. You do what you see God doing. You follow whom you see God leading. And you bless what you see God blessing. And when it's time, the puzzle of your life tends to reveal itself. Um, I want to invite you to become a deeper part of the ministries of this church. I want to open the doors wide to you. And, and I say this not because, how many guys know you can't give an ADD guy toys or I'll just play with them, so I'm going to set these down. I was the fidget spinner before there were fidget spinners. I, I don't say I want you to get a deeper involvement in the church that you attend because we're desperate for workers. We've, we are not desperate for workers. It's not because there's a vanity that says, if, if more of you serve, then the church will grow and my life would be infinitely simpler if there were just a lot more of you. The reason I say this is because for the last three decades, my wife and I have stood in moments like this and said, the door's open. I don't have my purpose. Find someone who does. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Find some place that is. I don't know who I'm supposed to follow. Find someone who's being led. Find something that God is doing and join yourself to it. The blessing that comes to those who say, well, I'm not a warrior, but I've, me and my girls, I think, can build that wall. Something happens in those girls' lives. Something happens in that, that father's life. There's no mention of a mother, by the way. I think he's a widower and his girls. And they decided to do what God was doing. They decided to follow who they saw God leading. They decided to bless what they saw God blessing. And today, 2,700 
and two-ish years later, we know their names. You remember the people in the story that, that didn't help, didn't participate, didn't serve? Me neither. Because people that don't engage live very different lives. Might have been more comfortable lives. Matter of fact, put on the next slide. I, I didn't think I was going to do this, but I think I will. Those who didn't fight for the rebuilding of Jerusalem moved into its walls as unchanged, petty consumers. Read the rest of the story. Guys who didn't show up, show up and blow up. Hey, that's, that's the wrong color. Why is that so loud? Why do you let those kids do that? Why do you translate the version of the Bible that way? I saw on Facebook a scholar 10 times smarter than you. I was like, hey, you know what? I love, shut up. But those who believed, fought, sacrificed, and risked had been built by God for their season of purpose. And their story continued until the day they died and went home as obedient, sacrificial Lego sets that became the picture of God's will on earth. So maybe you're not going to be Moses. Maybe you are. No one knows. But everybody here can be a Joshua. Well, Joshua is unseen. Yeah. Joshua serves. Yeah. Joshua took the same risk Moses did, but everybody knew Moses. Not. Yeah. Joshua had to give it all. Yeah. But we do know Joshua's name because when it was time for a new leader, God appointed a new leader. His name was Joshua. Um, I'll read this and we'll close. Someone asked Bono, the lead singer of probably the greatest rock band of my life, U2. Um, and, and because of his, his, I think it's his Catholic faith, they said something along the lines of, you, you believe in God, but where is God? With all the wars that are going on, all the you know, parentless children all the poverty, people living in cardboard boxes. Bono, you claim to be a man of faith, but how can you reconcile a good God with the conditions of the earth? And this was his answer. He said, God is in the slums. He's in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunities and shattered lives. And God is with us if we are with them. Where is God? God is with and in the moment where a parent entrusts their newborn baby to the nursery for the first time. God is in the moment when a junior high schooler who has no friends, his old man read on his old lady, He's a boy, but he's thinking about being a girl. She's a girl, but she's never going to win the beauty contest of the lovelies around her, so she might as well be something else. Somewhere else, right? I can just be safe. Something else. Where is God? God is in the moment when a person first walks up to the doors and they feel celebrated or, or tolerated. Where is God? God is in the moments when we worship together. God, where is God? God is in the place where people are, are making decisions that will affect not just their lives, but generations yet to come. Do you get this? Where is God with all the poor kids that Claire's Hope is helping? Is, is he here? Is he alive? Listen, God is in these moments and God is with you if you will be there in these moments. I'm waiting for the sky to open and Jesus' finger to write his will for me. Okay, but in the meantime, why don't you just grab the Legos that are already yours? 
and attached them to the things you already see God doing, the leaders you already see God leading, and the blessings that you already see on certain things. This is not a come to Freedom Center. Go to Linden, go to... This is me telling you, don't waste your life because you don't know what you're supposed to do. Just start doing what you see God doing. Capiche? I'm sorry, yeah, do this. Capiche? Notice all my fingers are up, not just one, so this is... So, Lennon, we're going to say goodbye to you right now. Pastor Jason, good luck with this one, buddy. <laughs> good luck with this one. Let's land the plane here. Um, I just think it's time to get off the bench. Now, this is a moment where I wish I had 14 people standing outside the door with iPads waiting to sign you up. But here's the problem. I, I think we get excited or brokenhearted or inspired, and we do things that, that once the feeling goes away, we decide maybe we shouldn't have done that. We get on a roster and we get involved in a kid's life or a student's life or a single mom's life or a group's life and then three, four, five weeks later, life takes back over again. We didn't make a decision. We had, a, we had an experience. So I'm not, I'm not here to take this experience and, and somehow manipulate it into more workers. Again, we're not like starving for more workers. You guys realize that? We've built this thing on helping you find your purpose and then releasing you to be who God made you to be. So we're, we are one of the rare exceptions that, I, that I'm aware of where we're not like, we need more, we need, if we don't have this, we're gonna have to cancel that. Like we just had 500 people and we had more workers than we needed help, than we had work for. I asked the lady, I said, how'd you like working with my wife in the kitchen? She goes, oh, they didn't need me. So I just went and enjoyed a table full of friends. I went, they didn't need you at a church potluck? You know why? Because everybody's kind of finding their thing. So I don't wanna get you to committed to Clara's hope today and then you change your mind a month from now. You hear what I'm saying? But now just ask yourself this, where are you engaged? Are you just kind of this? Well, I'm waiting for God. Well, okay, but why don't you just connect with what you see God doing? I'm going to wear my glasses. There we go, that way. And now it's a baby doll. Or stick them up. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would take the words today. And that if they're emotional, great. I thank you for emotions. If they're inspirational, great. Thank you for inspiration. But God, my goal from the beginning of this has not been inspiration. It's been movement, commitment, growth. We will grow in you at the same pace as our commitment to you. We will grow in you at the identical pace of our commitment to you. We don't grow apart from you. A vine and a branch are both necessary to each other to produce fruit. So today, God, we just take who we are and if we've been saying excuse after excuse and thing after thing, good reason after good reason, remind us that there are people that brought their daughters into a war zone to build a wall. There's perfume makers with cleavage that built a wall. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we love you more than anything. May we trust you more than anything. May we follow you more than anything. So God, I pray that the counsel of the last 10 weeks planted in the soil of your servants' hearts will now produce fruit that will last for eternity. I thank you that you're in the moments of the junior high school kid walking through the door. That you're in the moments of that child being placed in the nursery for the first time. You're in those moments. Let us be with the one who is in those moments now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're not right with God, then it would be absolutely 
wrong of me to, to stop. Um, and in 90 seconds, I think I can do a good job of helping you understand the path back or the path to God. If your life is lifeless and you're a believer, then I just showed you the way to an abundant life. But if your life is lifeless and you're not a believer, then you probably have fallen for all the self-help things and the motivational stuff and the, I'm gonna try harder. You probably have bought into the whole morality thing where, you know, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm not Hitler. And, you know, aren't all religions basically the same? Don't all roads lead to God? You know, that kind of thinking. But just, let me just share this with you. If you're okay and I'm okay, then why is there always that nagging suspicion that we're not? If, if you're as good as the next person and good people go to heaven, which by the way is all really horrible theology, none of it echoes a single thought in scripture. <laughs> scripture basically says this, we're all lost. Chapter one, book of Romans, man, there's some bad people. Chapter two, and you're one of them. Chapter three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the world's attempt at giving us swimming lessons has failed us time and time and time again. Our New Year's resolutions have fallen to the ground by the 3rd of January and we're left with ourselves. So I don't need a swimming lesson. I need a lifeguard. You don't need a swimming lesson. You need a lifeguard. You need someone to jump into the, the environment that's killing you and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You need a savior. If you're not right with God because sin is inside of your heart instead of Jesus, trying harder doesn't remove the sin. It actually is a, a wonderful ground for the seeds of hypocrisy. But when a humble person is saved by a loving God, their lives and the trajectory of their lives completely change. So before we go home, I just need to know this. Are you right with God? What is in your heart right now? Are you saved by the grace and mercy of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the sinless one who came to this world, jumped into the stuff that was killing us, and he, and he overcame it, and now offers to us a ride back to the beach? offers to us salvation. He's going to come out and teach us how to swim. He's going to come out and get a hold of us, reach us and pull us to safety. If today it's still you against the world, it's not you and Jesus against the world, then I would hope that you could change that with a simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. All over this room right now, come on. If you need that, or you just want to encourage those that are around you in that, can I lead you in a prayer? Is that cool? Can we pray together this morning, Freedom Center? That'd be all right. All right, let's, let's, let's do this right now. Just say this with me. Jesus, I need you. I need what you did to be forgiven for what I did. Help me. Save me. Rescue me from me. I welcome you as the Lord of my life. As you have given yourself to me, I now give myself to you. Teach me your word. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to find your way for my life. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's quarter after, but I don't apologize. That was good. Stand to your feet. I'm glad we had the time. God bless you.
We got Carrie yawning and stretching. We know service is over with it. Carrie starts yawning and stretching. One last thing before you leave. Anybody know what it is? Find the people around you that don't know the people around them. And the Bible says if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself to be friendly. So ask them, what's your purpose? What's your Legos? What's your, what are you going to engage in? Would that challenge you today? Hey, you want to go to Mega and talk more about it? Hey, um, I'm broke. Do you want to buy my lunch at Mega today? <laughs> hey, you're kind of cute. Let's go to Mega every week until we figure this out. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week.